You are listening to the Photobomb Podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Hello and welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Hi, glad to be here. Oh, you sound wonderful today, Gary. I feel wonderful today. You have something you want to share with us. I, You know, I have a gripe. A gripe, all right. I do have a gripe. That's kind of my job. Really on the podcast? I know I think? I'm stepping into your territory yeah. here, but All I right. have a gripe. All right. So since we started this thing, um, I have received several, uh, several, several comments. All right. About how nice your voice is. Yes. People yes. say, "Oh, his voice is so smooth. It's so nice." <laughs> it's like one of those things where, let's say, for example, you had two friends who are a husband and wife photographer team. Yeah. And then you, on your podcast, for example, you complimented one and not the other. Right. And then the person who didn't get complimented got upset. Are you feeling insecure? I feel a little bit because you know I don't have a voice like yours. Yours is to, qu- right, to quote to quote to quote someone <laughs> recently that I spoke to said your voice is like sexual butter. This was not a woman who said this. No, a man. That's see, that's then it doesn't mean nothing. It means nothing. No, it means more. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> if a if if a, if a grown man securing his sexuality can just say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd make out with that voice. Okay, all right. That's well, that's okay. Good. Well, first of all, you know, I had a twenty-year career in radio, and I'm not even doing the voice anymore. Have, I mean, we, this, have you done the voice on our show before? Not really. I mean, here's the thing about here's the thing about. Okay, when I started in radio, you had to have what they called Middle America speech. You had to actually learn how to to talk kind of like in a Midwestern accent, so that you could go anywhere in the country and work and not be identified as being some, from somewhere. This was a thing like you a non regional diction. Yes, exactly. You mm-hmm. had to have this what they called Middle America speech. So you had to learn that. And then right about the time I learned that, everything shifted. And radio stations started putting anybody on the air who was funny, and it didn't matter what they sounded like as long as you were funny and having a good time. And suddenly, the idea that you would have a clean announcer's voice, like I'm doing it now. This is my announcer's voice. I kind of dropped my register just a little bit, and, and I start to enunciate my words. And for instance, I'll say, instead of saying to, I'll say as well. And you can go there mm. as well. Instead of saying, so you can go there too. You know? And so you start doing that. And right about the time I finally got that down, it all shifted. And you didn't, and they didn't want that anymore. They wanted you to sound like a real person, and you had to start kind of sounding like a. You know, real person. I was listening to a really interesting um, piece on This American Life uh, on NPR. You know, about how people are writing in complaining about the producers and the people who do pieces for that show because right. it's a lot of young people right. who just kind of talk normal and they say like a lot. And right. there are people writing in. There were then they were reading some of the letters on the air. It's like I wish that person was you know living on an iceberg in the middle of the ocean or something like that. You know, just crazy hate for the way people sounded. And it's almost some people feel like they want their radio people to have that that bourree. I don't know. Maybe it's butter. coming. Maybe it's coming. But I really don't have a good radio voice. I mean, I have a radio voice compared to you. You know, when I do it, people go, oh, you sound like you have a radio voice. But I worked with guys who, I mean, they had a ra- – well, case in point, I never made a living doing commercials or voiceover work because I really don't have the voice for that sort of who thing. Who was the guy? LaFontaine? In a town. Don LaFontaine? Yeah, in a town. In a world. In a world. <laughs> yeah, that guy. So I – you know, but I do – yes, I do turn it on just a little bit. Like when I get, the, when I get on the phone with a client, for example – I will, I will, I will slip just a little bit into the old announcer radio thing, and it's, it, there's just all, it's just, it's part of the thing. But let me say this, okay? And no, no one has said anything to me uh, complimentary about you, uh, but <laughs> but if they did, 
If they did, Gary. If they did. The criminal mind, Gary. The criminal mind. If they did, I will say this about the dynamic of our show. And I think about this. I don't worry about this, but I think about this sometimes. And we do the show, and I listen to the podcast repeatedly over and over again. And I think on our show, you come across as A, a better photographer, B, (laughs) B, more interested in educating people, and C, better at it than me. Better at what? Educating and people? Educate. You know, you, you, we both goof around, but you you always come back to the, you know, for instance, you were the one who started, the, what's the takeaway for this episode? I don't, care, I don't care if we have a takeaway for the episode, but you always want to have something educational. You always want the podcast. We have a good time, but you also primarily want people to think they can come here to learn something. And I come across as the guy who is just spoiling your attempt to actually have some value. <laughs> You're sitting in the back of the class yeah. shooting spitballs at the back of my head. And while I worry I try about to... that sometimes. I think, you know, am I, you know because, because I wonder sometimes, and this is, I, I wonder sometimes if people listen, uh, they think, you know, Gary's the real, you're Dr. Drew and I'm Adam Carolla. You're the actual <laughs> professional. Who has who knows what he's doing, and I'm just the uh, the goofball. No, I don't know that. I mean, that I think there's that's an element of it. But uh, to be honest, um, it does. It, photography education can get so dry. I remember there's a there's a friend of mine who's a photographer outside of Detroit named Prem Mukherjee, and he's a terrific photographer. Those high school seniors, and I was up in Michigan shooting a job, and we met for lunch, and he said, "When I saw your program, it was probably back in beginning of January 2014." So when I saw your program, it was the first time I saw a photography program, and I realized that it's okay if you're funny, you know. Right. And um, and I took that as probably the best compliment I've ever gotten about a program. And where you know, seeing you speak and and some of the other great speakers I've seen out there, um, Jerry Gionis is a perfect example because he's really really funny in his delivery, but also delivers great educational content. And I think that that those two things don't have to be exclusive from one another. I think they can, and that's kind of what that's what photobomb. Is all about. Well, let me ask you this: hmm. Did you get your reviews from speaking at Imaging USA? I did. Okay. And did any of your reviews say that you had imparted good knowledge and educational stuff they were happy to learn? Yeah. Yeah. None of mine said that. No. No. All of mine said funny. That's all mine said. Funny. Good morning program. You know, funny. Great. Yeah. That, no one said, "Hey, really great information." No, it was just funny, 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 and um, which I'm okay with because I'd rather be funny than smart any day of the week. But I wonder sometimes if you know I don't come across as you know all show and no go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's the case at all. Say that, man. I'm a damn good photographer. I, look, you are, and this is one of the things I think about education is that I remember I was going to give my um back when PPA had their super Monday workshops now they're called super one day it used to be on a specific Monday you had to do it right um and now it can be sort of any day over a period of time and I taught my first one I did a class on you know uh, social media for photographers and I was really nervous I was having and it's only small groups I think there were like five photographers coming to coming to our home studio at the time and I called my dad and I said, Dad, you know, what, uh, who's also a photographer? I said, Dad, what am I going to do? You know, they're, they're all going to know more than me. And he goes, son, any time that you're going to teach a class, there's going to be somebody in that room that's going to be better than you or know more than you. He goes, don't worry, you're not speaking to that person. And I kind of carried that with me. So some of what you're going to teach and what I'm going to teach is you're going to teach something. Half the people may already know it. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, I gave a program that was mostly inspirational, and there was some good information stuff in there. But in a 90-minute or 60-minute program, you're not going to impart any life-changing technical knowledge 
That's no. not the format. No, no. It would be the difference between, for church-going people, <laughs> not us, but for church-going people, uh, it would be the difference between going to church on Sunday and going to a Bible study on Wednesday night. You know, church on Sunday is an hour long. You can't get that That's in a depth. good analogy. You know what I mean? And I think that photography education has to be like that. So we are the, we're the photography education where in 30 to 45 minutes, you're going to get a, a little bit of useful knowledge wrapped in a chocolate coating, like giving a dog as medicine. I can tell you that people I know when they go to speak for the first time that most frequently the thing that they're worried about is what you just said is that, you know, I, I, you know, I have no right to be up here. I have no right to be teaching people. Everybody no, feels that way. You're sharing your own experience. It doesn't, you're, you know, no one is holding you up to some standard. There's going to be some a-hole in the back of the room who holds you up to a standard, but you're not talking to him. You know, I want to hear your story. Did uh, anybody put on your evaluations has a voice like sexual butter? Well, it was a common theme. Recurring throughout them all. <laughs> sexual butter? That's an actual thing, you know. Is it? Oh, sure. Oh, you know what? It I, heard, I, heard it was, I heard it was a thing. I've never actually Oh, my gosh. That comment butter. makes so much more sense to me now. All right. We have a question. We, okay. Go for yes, it. Yes, we have a question. Who's it from? Uh, Ed Krizyak. Ed Krizyak? Ed Krizyak is his name. And he said, uh, if I shoot a wedding uh, both with and without an assistant, what's the gear I should aim to have? Be specific. Flash. What kind of modifier would you use? I'm having trouble when I'm on my own with sparkler exits, don't we all? Terribly lit venues with enormous space and ceilings. As we speak, I'm editing out noise as well as I can. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Brandy Dial said this. Brandy. I got my name. So it's Brandy Dial sent this. I've got all the... the Sorry, names. Ed. Sorry, Ed. Whoever you are, we're not answering your questions. And my apologies to Matt Damon. You've been bumped. Yeah, Same Brandy bumped, Ed. <laughs> Brandy Dial says... And this is a good question for us because it's not... Because it's not wedding-centric. So many people shoot portraits and stuff on location now. And the gear crosses over, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. So talking about this really, I think, helps everybody. Unless you're a studio photographer. But I don't... There aren't... Most people are shooting on location now. I feel that that's probably the majority of the photography that's out there is yeah. location photography. Um, when it comes to start with weddings specifically, you know, there's a great uh, photographer. I think he's in New Jersey, um, Neil Van Nykirk. And oh, I may sure. have mentioned him on the show before, a wedding photographer. And he's one of these guys. He always shoots on his own, you know. And, right. um, he, and he comes up with – he uses on-camera flash, and it looks like off-camera flash right. when he does it. So he's got this – the little black foamy thing, and he calls it, where he wraps it around the end of a right, flash. He basically right. like a snoot. I basically, and I was doing this yesterday, and this was on a corporate job where I was photographing the behind the scenes of a making of a video for a corporate, uh, you know, a con- for a convention in Orlando. And here's a great situation: I'm in a room where they're doing hair and makeup, and there's costuming and stuff going on. And rather than, since time is sometimes of the essence, especially if you're like at a wedding in a getting ready room, but this was a corporate job. I put the flash on camera. And instead of just turning it and bouncing it off the roof or bouncing it off the wall, I used um, a snoot, a little Velcro snoot that goes around the end to bounce it off the wall and create directional light. Right. And that's a really cool, handy way to use an on-camera flash and get light that looks like an on-camera flash. Now, that is restricted to a certain size room, pretty much. If it's an enormous room, you're going to have a lot of hard time getting the flash to be powerful enough to do any good. But a lot of times getting ready, stuff like that, without an assistant... I use a lot of um, on-camera flash, bouncing it around with a snoot. Because well, you're clearly you're right in my wheelhouse because I'm. That's all. I'm you know I'm bounce flash all the time. Bounce, 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 bounce. I don't snoot it. I don't snoot. It. I do zoom the flash head. Uh, that's another thing people don't think to do. If you're bouncing a flash over your shoulder into a wall that's 15 feet behind you, don't shoot at 28 millimeters. Zoom the flash head to 105. That way you're going to get a tighter beam going to the wall, which is going to get more power coming back, right. which means you're gonna, it's going to be easier for you to light that room. You're going to get faster recycle times on your flash. And I am all about the bounce. I'm all about the bounce. About that bounce. When I, when I learned that, and I'd been in photography a while before 
it occurred to me, and it didn't just occur to me, I think I learned that from Michael Greenberg, who's a wedding photographer in Canada. And, um, yeah, I think I learned, like, it was one of those moments where I go, oh, my God, it zooms in. And to the point where I'll do a photograph of, like, all the groomsmen, and I'll zoom the flash in it so it just hits the groom and right. lights him up and everybody else is dark. Cool right. stuff. You can yeah, really, very cool stuff. Knowing your equipment can help you learn to use it so it's like you have other equipment that you didn't have before. But when I'm using – when I have an assistant, I – for weddings, economically speaking, I'm – I know there's a lot of great off-camera lights out there. It depends on how much money you have. I'm using speed lights, whether that whether you use Canon speed lights, Nikon speed lights, or right. Photix, or whatever you use. Bang for buck. They fit in my camera case. They set up quick. I can control them from the unit on my camera, and I get so much done so quickly. I can adjust the power. The thing is when you're working, especially if you're using off-camera lighting, is make it quick, make it easy to use. Because right. in a wedding especially, if you're fiddling around with your equipment, you could miss it. Yeah, you've got you to be quick and you, with your gear. And you need two of everything. Uh, and let me, you know, and I'm a speed light guy too. I carry three, four speed lights with me, but you need at least two: one for your camera and one for backup. At the very least, if you're not maybe setting both up on tripods, it's when someone says, "What do you need?" It's so tough because every situation is different. And I, and you're like, and you're like, man, you've been in this situation. I carry all this stuff and I use it all at a wedding. But if I got to a wedding and you emptied half my case, I could still do a good job. Right. So I think a lot of people get trapped into the idea that they've got to have all this certain gear in order to shoot a wedding well. No, you don't. It's nice and it allows you to be creative, but really it's more about having the, not necessarily experience, but it's, it's, it's more about just being able to create an image no matter what you see, no matter where you are. I mean, that's, that to me, put me in a room and hand me anything and say, make a picture using this. These two lights in this camera, okay. Hand me just a camera, okay. I'll I'll come up with a way. Something. Yeah, I'll come up with something to do, no matter what you hand me, and that only comes with experience. You've got to practice all the time. One of the things that I've done over the years, um, as far as weddings are concerned, I second shot a bunch, and sometimes for free. Oh yeah. Just because it's like, okay, I want to learn how to use this lens, and trigger I could, time is invaluable. And when you're second shooting um, uh, for another photographer. There's a lot of time you can spend. Go, okay, I'm only going to use this 24 millimeter lens, and I'm going to see what it can do. Or I'm going to use this 85, or I'm going to do everything with on camera flash, or I'm only going to use off camera flash. And you can just practice, practice, practice. What yeah. is it? Ten thousand hours? Yeah. They say ten thousand hours is is the general rule for how much time you need to spend practicing to be proficient at something. But when it comes to equipment, I'm really less is more. I know a lot of photographers that bring. A carload, <laughs> yeah, a carload. You know, I've got practically got a van of, yeah. uh, when I come into a thing. Now yeah. I base, I got everything that I've got fits in my Pelican case, my fifteen ten. You got the tiny case too. I fit everything in a fifteen ten and one bag that holds one, uh, two light stands and my tripod, and then and my ice light, which I use all, all the time. Um, and you found like a cheaper alternative. Yes, there is a cheaper alternative. We'll on talk Amazon. about that in a sec. But the um, that's the basic gist is I use relatively little equipment okay but what's in the kit okay so you because i carry a bigger bag than you but all my stuff is in my bag you're carrying two bags i got more stuff back at the studio right but, but what's know. in the actual pelican in the pelican case i got a 5d mark 3 a 5d mark 2 70 to 200 2 8 24 to 70 a 16 to 35 and 85 a fisheye two speed lights uh pocket wizards for backup the uh, speed light wireless trigger um, my battery booster pack for my flash. Whoa! All of that in the in your in your. 
I got that same case, and there's no way I can get all that stuff in oh, that yeah. case. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You're describing everything that's in my case, and I carry the giant one, like the one the Navy SEALs use for carrying their guns. I can show it to you. Well, you know what? Let's do this. I'm going to post. We'll take a, I'll take a picture of my packed case, and then we'll post it to yeah, the— Yeah, because you're, I, I'm the same thing. I've got, I've got a Mark III, a Mark II— a uh, 70 to 200, a 2470, a 1635. I've got a fisheye. I've got remotes. I've got my tripods. My tripods do not fit. So my if you case. take your, yeah. So if you take your, yeah. Okay. I've got a light stand bag that holds two light stands for I can do off camera lighting. Well, okay, reception. that makes sense because yeah, if you took out all my tripods, that big case would be almost the size of the small case. So yeah, I guess so. And you know, and that's and that's what I take now. I all I always 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 have an assistant. And that's the thing is with wedding photography. And I almost always shoot alone. You gotta, you gotta understand how you work best. And I'm really an assistant to me isn't somebody that is going to be contributing a whole lot more than this. They're going to hand me things that I asked for. They're going to take things when I hand them to them, and they're going to carry my stuff around. And they're just going to stand there and wait for me to tell them what to do. I don't really need somebody. It's who's, good to be king. I don't need somebody to do all this stuff. But I'm so scatterbrained that I put stuff down and forget where I put it. Or like I need an assistant because I'm a mess when I work. Just stuff is strewn everywhere. So oh, I just yeah. I need somebody to clean up after me, to hand me things, to be handed things, and to make sure all the equipment gets from location to location, so I can concentrate on just the work. Um, and that's and that's what I need mentally. That's how I work best. Right. So I think the the heart of the question is you need to figure out how you work best because there are photographers that always shoot alone that pull amazing work, and there are photographers that always need an assistant. And that's me. I really need somebody there. You want to talk about because he actually mentioned it specifically. Do you want to talk about the sparkler exit? The sp- oh, man. I think the sparkler exit is 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 the the bane of many. Uh, this wedding is this is one thing that. Um, I was judging a um, a local PPA affiliate competition in Jacksonville, and there was a um, an image came up. And here's the thing: a lot of the judges at these competitions, not a lot of them are actual currently working wedding photographers. When you get to a certain level of experience, the progression of a lot of people's photography businesses, they end up phasing out of the wedding business because it's hard on you. Oh, it's very hard. It's hard on the body. Oh yeah. And so you got a lot of people that do portraits and stuff like that, and they. Um, or have phased their businesses into other areas. You you are hardly ever going to meet a photographer in their 50s still working that shoots weddings on the regular. By Usually by the time you get into your like late 40s, you are like, okay, I've gone from 30 weddings a year to 10 weddings a year. Right. And by the time they're like 55, you go, yeah, we don't do weddings anymore. Or I put my wedding prices up so high <laughs> so nobody so, would ever hire me for it. That would be anymore. so great. Or if, if I had I to do a wedding, I'm getting paid $10,000 for yeah. it because that's When's a that gonna, When do I get to do that? Yeah, well, you're, you're a different breed. Yeah, also, well, I started late. How many people that are wedding shooters that shoot as much as you do are your age? I not many, not many. No. There are few. No, there's there, yeah. Most people. So, and I'm, not that I'm ancient. I'm 51. Right. But uh, yeah, you don't meet a lot of guys in their 50s who are shooting as many weddings as I. Well, do. there's this wedding photographer. His name is uh, uh, Dan Harris in Jacksonville, and he's a great wedding photographer. And he had it, and you know the sparkler exit is just a bread and butter shot. Right. There's nobody going to win any awards for a sparkler exit shot. So it comes up, and the judges give it like an 80 is the score you want to go for. So the judges are like 78, 77, and it comes to me, and I'm like. 81. This is really, really well done. And I sat there and had to break it down how difficult it was. I said, everything's sharp and crisp. Everything's exposed well. There's light on everybody, but it doesn't overpower the light that the sparklers are throwing. I said, this is a really masterfully it's done. It's a very hard shot to get, yeah. too, because it's a, it's like nature. You get it or you don't. Half the time you're outside and the sky is, you know, 
completely black. There's nothing to bounce your flash. There's nothing off to bounce of. your flash. You can't off use of? an off-camera light because if you if you move it uh, left or right, it's going to come over hard over the people who are in the aisle and blow them out, or overpower the sparklers. So yeah. you lose the you know. And then if you go available light, you got to drag your shutter speed so much that everybody's blurry. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. And then you get into the problem where sometimes they do it on the steps or somewhere an exit from the venue that actually has some ambient lighting like there's some lighting from the building or something like that which now which now fixes that you can't drag the shutter because now everybody's going to be blurry because they're moving I mean it really is there's a lot to consider when you're taking that shot so uh, to get the sparkler exit shot it's so much of it depends on um on the circumstances, but let's say you're almost, you're always outside. Right. I've never done an indoor <laughs> sparkler exit, so you're always outside, and you're always going to have the problem of you want everything to be sharp, or and you want everything to be well lit. I have found that um, when I and I have an assistant, that a good option is sometimes using a, an, an off-camera light that isn't a strobe, or a lot of times I will t- use two strobes that are behind the action and shooting across. Like I'll rim light everything instead of light it from the okay. front. Okay. In that case, what you get is the flash hits the stuff that's moving and freezes it. And then I can focus on the bride and groom. And sometimes I'll have a flash on camera and then one or two behind the scene. Because usually a sparkler exit, you know, you got like 10, 15 minutes to set up. Yeah, you're that's waiting, true. You know? I was just about to say, that seems like a pretty elaborate but setup for a sparkler. Time. But you usually have the time because it takes them 20 minutes to drag all the drugs out. When are you out. shooting a wedding where you go, oh, crap, they're doing the sparkler yeah, exit right it's now. True. Run you, you, you run out there and then you're standing around for 20 minutes. I've had it where I'm in yeah. the bathroom taking a piss and, and the DJ's like, and now the bride's going to dance with her father. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, and then I got to run out pulling my zipper up. But you're right. You always have time to set it up. Always, always. So I, you know, and other times I've done it where if you if there is enough ambient light you just got to balance the shutter speed with what light you're adding to it and i have in the past even done intentionally made everything blurry except the bride and groom right i'll have a flash either on or off camera zoom it in so that it hits them and then right. i was going to say that's what i was waiting for, for you to get to it, in a in a pinch and it's, this is the only time i ever have a flash on my camera that is pointed straight ahead i'm always bouncing absolutely <clears throat> but in a pinch do you know point it straight down you know shoot it straight down the aisle flash straight down the aisle but manually zoom your flash head to 105 so that it's very narrow so it will hit the bride and groom but it won't light the people and blow them out on either side right and I mean, so it's like a little spotlight on them that's your that's your fallback you know sparkler exit especially like if they're coming down steps there's no place you can put off camera lighting or or etc 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 not without some drunk person knocking yeah, it over yeah, yeah absolutely. Or something along those lines but I, I but i think for most people when they're first starting with a sparkler exit just zooming the flash head is a huge revelation oh i didn't think of that the biggest change in equipment right now is that with all of the new cameras coming out the i the high isos work so much yeah, better yeah. so you can get the exposure with the shutter speed you want you're gonna sacrifice it to noise here's the thing about digital noise you got to make sure that it's a good exposure in fact if you're if you're shooting at a high iso overexpose the image a little bit if you can. Right. Because when you underexpose it at a high ISO, that's when it falls apart. Right. That's when you have, if you have to bring that up, if you have to bring that ISO 3200 image up two stops in RAW, you're in in big, big trouble. However, if you shot it at ISO 6400, and then you got to bring the exposure down a stop, you're going to be in way better shape. Yeah. Although I never go to 64. Do you ever shoot 6400? I do now. I'll do it for fun 
at a reception. Oh, let me see. You know, maybe see if I get something. But but not like when I walk in the door, I'm at 32. Absolutely, no problem. And, Absolutely. And you and I are, are not a lot of people are. There are a lot of people who just they're still scared to death of going that high. But if you're using a Canon 5D Mark III, 3200 is no problem, especially if your stuff is going to be put well, into the an Nikon album. 750s yeah. or the D4. Yeah, it's really and, not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because I, I on a side story, I just got <laughs> I was contacted by a bride uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And she'd gotten her images. She was a destination bride. She'd gotten her images, and she contacted me. She was very upset. She had taken her images to be printed, and she said all the pictures that were taken indoors were very grainy. And I said, um, okay. And I looked back at her wedding, and, and she, had, she was supposed to be a beach bride. She got rained out. So they moved her, she moved inside. She got a little room. They gave her a little room, and it was a terrible room. Uh, the ceilings were eight feet it was very small. I couldn't move at all. I couldn't bounce even off those ceilings because they were so low. I couldn't bounce on the ceilings from the back of the room. So I shot at 3200. I didn't think twice about it. So I shoot inside at 3200, and then it stopped raining. We did some stuff outside. She goes, the stuff outside is fine, but the stuff inside is so grainy. And I was like, oh, no, no. You know, 3200 shouldn't be a problem. So I went back, and I said, where are you printing them? And she said, Walmart. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, that's probably your problem. Uh, you need to send them someplace better. And she came back and she said, oh, you know, I've done lots of professional. <laughs> That's in my fairness. She goes, I've printed lots of professional photos at Walmart and never had a problem. And I said, okay, well, <clears throat> um, let me just give you the name of uh, my lab's commercial side. And why don't you send a few prints to them and let me know what happens. In the meantime, I printed a few on my die sub printer that I have in my office. Okay, mm-hmm. my die sub. Not a nice, not a lab, just by Dysub. Mm-hmm. And I handed them around the, my office and said, everybody look at these. Do you have a problem with grain? And they were like, no. And I'm like, okay. Still, I'm worried. He must have been printing. And so she, she called, she, and I just got a t- uh, an email from her like yesterday, and she said, oh, by the way, I got the pictures back, and they're much better. Thank you. But I thought it was so funny because she would totally wanted to argue with me about the quality of Walmart's prints. Some, yeah, some <laughs> minimum wage genius yes. who five minutes before was working in the grocery section That's right. is printing probably the low-res versions or yeah. something. Like, who you got to send them to a good lab. It's one of the reasons that you have your pictures printed by a professional photographer is they use a professional lab with professionally trained techs who actually are paying attention to the pictures as they go through and they will fix things if they see that's a grain they'll try and do something to fix it right there but um yeah i've never had a problem at 3200 6400 is a push you can do it it's gotta you gotta you gotta but get, it's gotta be right you yeah. gotta nail the exposure um but i've actually gone higher than that and uh and i'm still and you know what i tell you you know even back in the film days you knew when you shot with 800 speed that you're gonna get some film grain you know right um, so uh, to me, it's, it, it's an acceptable amount. I'm not even trying to remove all of it all the time. Um, but to, to shoot how I want to shoot, I have to shoot a high ISO. With the preponderance of cell phones now, you would think that we could just shoot as high <laughs> as we want because people think a good picture is that grainy piece of crap that they've got on their cell phone. I t- you know, that's a th- cell phone uh, cameras are so good now. I'm actually contemplating... Because we've talked many times before about how we both uh, compete. Yeah, at you the, get the, you get that you get that wedding that you and I will shoot with you. Yeah. Yes. You get us a wedding where someone will let us shoot their entire wedding with cell phones, and I will come shoot it with you. I bet you. Now I want to get there's um there's this company called Olo that makes lenses for the iPhone. Right. And they've got um, fisheye wide angle macro and telephoto zoom lenses, and I bet you. That if we lit it right and had the right light source and we got a little bit lucky with the with the weather, right? I guarantee you that we could kick ass with iPhones. Yeah. Well, we probably want to bring a couple of video lights, maybe. I would be another photographer shooting it straight up. Right. You know, I wouldn't shoot a whole wedding iPhone 
But actually, um, you know, you can you can do it. I'm telling you, I'm planning on. Uh, we've talked about competition a lot. And I'm planning on trying to put together a case, probably not for this year, but for next year, where I'm going to shoot it with the iPhone 6 and try and, and see if anybody even notices. Because I use in the studio now, I use all constant lights. Right, I don't use right, strobes right. anymore. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You switched to constant lighting in the studio. Yeah. The, I didn't know that. Yeah, the Sweet Light hybrids, man. I don't want to make it a commercial. I mean, we all love Jon Snow from uh, Sweet Light Systems, but, you know, he hasn't paid me. So, But he is, uh, he is a great guy, and those are Awesome, awesome. So you life. just set up uh, now, and you don't have any. I know you don't have any problem with heat anymore. No, but you don't have any problem with them just being bright. No, and, but and, and and once you've got them set, you can just rock that shutter. Yep, pop, 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 pop. And just. there's no inconsistency in the output of the strobe and stuff. It's awesome. And and I've been. This is what we talked about before. We've talked about in a previous episode about trying to balance natural light, like make it look more like natural light in the studio, and these are perfect for that. I'm really loving, loving What do they run? What are, you, what are you talking about spending per per light? I don't know. I stole mine. they're not mine, real cheap, so, are they? No, I stole mine. So, okay. Um, I'm right I, off the trade show floor when they Because believe looking. me, I've thought about it. I don't do enough studio work to warrant it, but I've certainly, I mean, especially since I started using that, uh, that uh, ice light uh, knockoff that I got um, just the other day. I was shooting in a, a home, beautiful dual staircases. I wanted to put them in the middle, and I've got my lights, and I was like, eh. Ice light here, hold this up for me, and then I could see exactly or what I was doing. Knockoff ice it. light, yeah, the knockoff ice light, and I held, and I could see exactly what I was doing. And the advantage of being able to shoot so quick, so you can catch every expression, is is a great advantage. To it have. is really really cool. Like there is some the magic of some of the strobe stuff that, you know, you don't have as much latitude in your camera settings. No, absolutely not. You you can't. They moved up the staircase, and I couldn't light them with it anymore. They were too far away. I'm shooting at ISO four or five, anywhere between two fifty and five hundred, sometimes eight hundred, depending on what I want to set my aperture at. You know, but um, they are. I'm really like for the for the commercial headshots and the the actor model, you know, entertainment headshots. I'm really really loving them, and and they're so so easy to use and what you see is what you get like i'll compose the shot in the live view screen now because <laughs> it's like you know, i have it set on my tripod and i'm just checking it and i'm like okay and I, I move the lights a little bit as i'm looking through the live view screen so i'm yeah. like yep this is what the camera's seeing and then that's i mean it's awesome do you worry at all that constant lighting is going to make it too easy um, well, I would worry about this for example like if you, you know have, what i mean that that it's going you know part of the barrier to professional photography is it's hard to oh. learn everything and that barrier is being eroded more every year they eroded it when they when they put good meters in the camera they eroded it when they put auto set, uh, settings in the camera they've eroded it now with ttl triggers for the flash and now with constant lighting they're eroding it even more to where it's very much becoming what you see is what you get and so, you know, all you really have to learn is what Rembrandt lighting looks like. And once you know that, well, you can just move the lights until it looks right and take the picture, which is so much easier than the old days when you had to figure out where the strobes were yeah. going to be when they flashed because you could, I mean, we're talking in the real old days, you couldn't even see a test shot on your camera. But that's the nature of industry is to make things more I, simple. I'm not saying we can't, we, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. We can stop it. I'm just saying, do you ever, do you ever worry that it's going to make our business too easy. No, I think it's going to separate the really talented photographers and artists from everybody else even more because the what the even with perfect technical proficiency, the real art comes from in your brain, like what you can think of. And the creativity isn't in necessarily technically knowing how to use the lights or use your camera. The creativity, the the real the real magic comes from what can you think to do next? 
And I was, you know, I was thinking of a perfect example. There's this uh, terrific photographer from New York who I met at Imaging in January. His name's Roberto Falk. And his album, he did this amazing album he put in competition, won the Gray and Imaging Awards. Oh, the, the Monks. Highest, the, Monks the Monks album. And he also, I just, he just posted some stuff on Facebook recently, and it was him in Papua New Guinea doing all these portraits of, like, these dudes covered in black and white clay and stuff. Papua New Guinea was my favorite band in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, and I was just looking at the stuff thinking, like, he's, he, it looks to me like it's just he's shooting dudes out in, in natural light. And just the stuff that he comes up with in his brain, it, that's what blows me away. The quality of the photographs was clearly amazing. But the actual the lighting and stuff wasn't what was amazing about it. It was what he was doing. He was making these crazy geometric shapes out of all these dudes laying in the dirt covered in clay and really amazing stuff like that. Right. And, um, and I was just like, man, this guy is exactly why... Um, there will always be a place for photographers that are willing to push the limits because it's it's you just have to think of what somebody else wouldn't think of. And that's what you do is like when you're in it every day, training, learning, advancing yourself, you're going to stop doing this stuff that's like, okay, everybody uh, put your heads together and smile and look at the camera. You're going to go, all right, what's the next thing? Right. What's the next thing? What can I do that I haven't done before? And those are the people that are going to stand out. One of the things that I have also been coming coming in contact with that I, I just I to me it's really strange, um, but I've had this happen a couple of times. Is people who are off camera lighting, manual, full manual studio photographers, they understand all of that, and they will come to me and say, "I really don't understand and need help learning how to use TTL." Off-camera lighting. Oh, I can't do it. I've and tried. I, what do you mean you can't do it? I just do it. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Let me let me walk you through the headshot I no, did hold yesterday. On, hold, hold on. Hang on. All right. Hang on. Simmer down now. Simmer down now. <laughs> Simmer down. It, it's The basic gist of it is this. It's not that I can't figure it out. It's that I've been doing it manually Your for, for so, so long, long that it's easy that, for you. That, it, that that's now so fast for me to do it. Right. And I know that I could go to TTL. Like, I know Mike Fulton and I have had these conversations. I know that I could learn TTL, but it's am I going to invest the time to sit down and learn this new way to do things? And here's the other thing. I'm There's not no gonna... reason for you to if you can do it just as fast with manual. I, I, you know, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people who do it with manual, but they want to learn TTL. I don't, and I don't know what that reason is, but... They obviously feel that there must be something which I don't. I don't get that at all. No, TTL is not. Doesn't give you any tools. I mean, it's just different. It's a different way of doing it. Is all. But if you're really good at doing it manual, there's no reason for you to learn TTL. Well, if you have enough minion monkeys holding the lights, yeah, for you, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's that's the that's the best radio slave in the world. Yo, hey, turn yeah. that light down yeah. one quarter power. <laughs> but here's the thing. Yesterday I had to do a headshot, right? And I go in, and I can do either because I started manual. I go in. I set up my main light to my left. I set up my fill behind me and a little to the right because it was not a big enough umbrella for me to really stand in front of it. So it's a little bit to my right. I, t- I turn them both on. The one on my left is A. The one behind me is B. I turn on my uh, remote on my camera, and I go A, B, three to one. I want A at three and B at one. And then I put that meter, and I put that uh, that focus point on the guy's nose, and popped it, and it was perfect. First shot, right out of the barrel, no adjusting the flash, no setting anything up. And then when I looked and said, "Oh, you know, I'd like to make that background a little bit more blurry or whatever," and I changed my f-stop, no problem. The flash is automatically adjusted. Popped it again, same exact exposure, except more shallow depth of field. Now didn't have to change anything else. And I just think, 
How is that hard? I can see if it you in can a portrait do it setting. manual, manual so much harder. I can see it in a portrait setting. Right. But if you're doing a corporate like event photography or if you're doing a wedding reception, it would drive me nuts. Yeah, okay, yeah, because I, I know what you mean. You're one of the guys, you want to have your two lights set manually to light your room, and then everything stays there, and you keep your settings and your camera the same. Whereas me, I'm like, the beauty of it is in TTL is that you can change the settings in your camera all day long, and the flashes will change for you, and, and you'll still end up with the same exposure. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't trust it. Interwebs, interwebs. interwebs. <laughs> I don't get it. Pipes and stuff in the walls. <laughs> Well, I hope that that was a 30-minute yeah, answer that was to a that question. <laughs> well, we talked. About, well, we definitely answered the question about the uh, about the uh, sparkler exit in there. And we and, and as far as the gear is concerned, to shoot a wedding, you need two cameras. They don't have to be the best and most low light. He did say he was having troubles in in low venues. I guarantee you, if you're having trouble shooting in venues with high ceilings and that are dark. The biggest when most when people come to me and they say that they're having a problem with that, usually the very first culprit is that they're not shooting at a high enough ISO. Now, if you're shooting in with a Canon 40D, you can't shoot at 3200, but you can shoot at 16. I shot at 16 with a 40D for years. If you're shooting at 1600 and you're and you're and you're opening up your aperture to 2.8, and this is another thing I think people forget about. 2.8 is a very shallow depth of field, but it isn't if you're shooting wide. I think a lot of photographers don't yeah, get that. Yeah, if you're shooting with a 16 to 35 to do a wide shot of the room with the dance floor, everything's going to be Everything's going to be in focus, yeah, even at no 2.8. I think a lot of people, for, they, don't, they, don't, they, they don't take they make that connection. I know I didn't in the beginning. I thought 2.8, uh, shallow depth of field. No, not if you're shooting full wide. If you're shooting full wide, you still got a two, three-foot depth of field probably at 2.8. Yeah. So you can shoot at 2.8. Now, you can't do that with the 200 millimeter when you zoom in at 200 millimeters. Now you've got a depth of field that stops at their nose. Right. Right. But most of the time in a reception, that's not the case. So you can drag that, you can get this, you can get that aperture wide open. You can take that shutter speed. And, and, you know, having a high ISO, I know you're scared of it, but these pictures are going to be printed at four by six size or smaller tops, in an album. Tops. Yeah. Yeah. None of the reception pictures are going to be framed and put on the wall at 16 by 20 and bigger. Especially not the DPDs. The DPDs? The drunk people dancing. There you go. <laughs> Are we ready to wrap this thing up? We're wrapping it up. All right. Thanks for listening. Be sure and check out uh, Gary, who will be speaking and teaching at Florida School. And don't forget to check out uh, Sexual Butter, who will be speaking and teaching <laughs> at Lamar School in South Carolina. That's right. Both of us doing wedding programs in the uh, week of June 8th. Yep. So uh, you can go to our website. We've got links directly from our website, so you can go and sign up and, and come see us and come learn from us. It's going to be a fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. And I know Gary is, too. Also, be sure to go to the uh, photobombpodcast.com, which is our website. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and uh, HughesFiorelli.com and BlueRayPerry.com. That's it. We'll see you next time. See you later. Mm-hmm.